Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Saturday, January 13th, day 99 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel Dan here with our U.S. Bureau Chief Jacob Magid for a one-on-one conversation. Hi, Jacob. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for having me. U.S. President Joe Biden stated he thinks the Houthi rebels in Yemen are a terror group. Will this mark a shift in the administration's approach? Saudi Arabia's ambassador to the United Kingdom told the BBC on Tuesday that Riot is, quote, absolutely still interested in normalizing relations with Jerusalem. But at what price for Israel? We'll hear updates on aid to the more than 130 hostages held in Gaza as families mark 100 days of their captivity. All this and more when we're back. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachek's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachuklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K, lawfirm.com, or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement, and past results are no guarantee of future performance. First, a few headlines from the weekend. Protesters gathered in central London for a national march for Palestine amid Israel's war against the Hamas terror group. Throughout the weekend, rocket sirens have sounded in evacuated communities alongside the border with Gaza. The Wall Street Journal has reported that Israel has informed Egypt that it's planning to launch a military operation to take control of the border between the Gaza Strip and Egypt. The IDF said it carried out a wave of airstrikes on Hezbollah positions in southern Lebanon in response to attacks on the border. But first of all, Families of hostages are holding 24 hours of non-stop awareness-raising events to mark 100 days of captivity by Hamas in the Gaza Strip. The Tel Aviv event will open with a video message from French President Emmanuel Macron. Last night, the Prime Minister's office announced in a statement that an agreement has been reached that will see vital medications delivered to hostages via the International Red Cross. Jacob, Israel has pushed for this for almost Almost 100 days. So what has changed in the meantime that is allowing this gesture of semi-goodwill? Correct. Um, so a couple things. I would be cautionary about gesture of goodwill. Hamas is definitely trying to get something in return. Um, they're going to see the amount of aid that goes into the Gaza Strip as part of the humanitarian trucks that are going in every day. That's going to be expanded in exchange for this. But as to your question of what's changed, I would say the amount of pressure that Qatar put on Hamas over the past week or so to get this deal done. That's at least according to an Israeli official I spoke with who said that Qatar finally stepped up. It was almost this uh, indication that there had been some frustration in Israel that Qatar had not been leaning on hard enough on Hamas. 
and that that had changed over the past few days. However, I would be a little bit cautionary. Um, I did speak with one other Israeli official who said, yes, we made this announcement indicating a deal was done. But um, it, he felt it seemed like he was almost critical of the decision to make this announcement before the medications that had already been transferred, that you're putting this major risk by Netanyahu announcing on Friday, doing it right before the eight o'clock news, very clearly trying to make headlines, um, get credit for this deal, um, that there's a risk that it could fall apart now that now now it's more public. Obviously, it came a day before the New York Times reported that that talks were ongoing. But when you put a public face or a public message out, basically confirming it, saying it's a, about a done deal, that, that really, I think, elevates expectations is going to happen. And Hamas has not formally announced that it's going to be doing this. Um, and I think it also puts just added pressure on the Netanyahu government from the hostages families who are saying, OK, we now we want to see visual proof of the, the hostages um, taking the medicine. Uh, we want others who don't just need medicine, but we need they need treatment. I'm, I'm just thinking of Hirsch um, Goldberg Prolin, who's uh, lost his arm in, in, during the October 7th attacks. And he doesn't just need medicine, but he needs treatment. And it's unclear whether he's been getting that. Um, and I think that's what the hostage, the families of the hostages want to see right now. So you have all these expectations growing and it's unclear when it's just the announcement that Netanyahu gave just says it'll happen in the next few days. Um, so we'll have to be watching this very closely. Obviously, Qatar now is really going to be um, putting a lot of pressure on, on Hamas to see this through so they don't come out looking bad. But I also think that the, the retort to this criticism of publicizing it, I think, is maybe a, a ploy by Netanyahu to say, look, this wasn't going to happen unless we unless we publicly announced it to kind of put Qatar and even Hamas in a way in a corner. And then hopefully we'll see this move forward and then medications will get to the hostages. But Hamas is always trying to do this in a way that there's no way that they can figure out. Israel can't figure out the location of where they are. So it's a really tricky deal. But hopefully we'll see some positive developments in the coming days. Early today, the U.S. military struck another Houthi-controlled site in Yemen that it had determined was putting commercial vessels in the Red Sea at risk. And this comes a day after the U.S. and Britain launched multiple airstrikes targeting Houthi rebels. This afternoon, the Houthis released a video simulating an assault by the rebel group on a Israeli community, really similar to the Hamas-led atrocities of October 7th. So yesterday, when President Joe Biden was at a bookstore in Pennsylvania, he was asked by some of the traveling press pool whether he thinks the Houthis are indeed a terrorist group. Now, to remind our listeners, of course, the U.S. removed the Houthis from the terror listing in Biden's first year in office. So at, on the one hand, the U.S. is leading this coalition against the terror group. On the other hand, it's not yet on the official terror list. Do you think that Biden's remark is showing some kind of shift? I think it is. His response was, I think they are, um, when he was asked whether or not they are a terror group. So that was the first time he said that. Um, the administration, every time in press briefings that they've been asked over the past few months, whether the, the Biden administration con considers the Houthis to be a, a foreign terrorist organization, they said, we're still reviewing it. They launched this review in November, so about two months ago. And there's been no update about what the, the, the results of this review are. Obviously, this is all politics. And I think the Biden administration's in this tough place where they campaigned on removing the Houthis and ending this war in Yemen, um, feeling that it was just the humanitarian cost was catastrophic. And actually, the fact that 
labeling the Houthis a terror group for some reason was complicating efforts to get any sort of humanitarian aid in. So Biden um, fulfilled somewhat of an election. That wasn't a promise, but it was an indication that he was going to make at the time in his first year of office. And now three years later, we're seeing him say, actually, they are a terror group. And it's look likely that, therefore, that they're going to conclude this review and move forward with um, this des- re- redesignating the Houthis as a terror group. Um, it makes sense, obviously, on the backdrop of these repeated attacks that we've seen since October 7th, where the Houthis have tried to align themselves and show solidarity with the Palestinians and with Hamas um, through these disruptions of ships in the Red Sea that have severely hampered shipping routes and um, basically totally drawing the Western powers and the U.S. into a conflict that it really doesn't want to be in. Um, and we saw on thir- between Thursday and Friday for the first time, the U.S. led these strikes along with the U.K. Um, across Yemen of all sorts of cities that pounded uh, the country, kind of bringing it back to where we were several years ago. This is the first time in years that we had seen um, the U.S. take this kind of action against the Houthis. So there's a lot of support from conservatives in the Democratic Party and also the, definitely Republicans who want harsher steps against the Houthis. On the other hand, from progressives, there's this real um, angst about we're draw- drawing ourselves back into another endless conflict. The Houthis don't seem like a rational actor. We don't know what we really get by striking them. Clearly, it hasn't stopped these attacks on the Red Sea shipping routes. They've continued since. So what do you really get from this uh, new, um, I think this just drawback to where we were before, where we were, there were all these strikes against the Houthis. Maybe they were against the Saudis, but the U.S. was allowing it to happen. Uh, The Saudis were carrying out these attacks, but also were back to redesignating them as a terror group. I think On the other hand, the Biden administration feels that there's just no other response besides a military one that we can give right now and and taking a harder route because the Houthis are just uh, no no actor should be allowed to disrupt shipping routes in this way. They're not even attacking Israeli ships. They're attacking everyone in the Red Sea. I wonder, of course, this is a campaign year. And do you think that Biden is losing face by the the looming redesignation of the Houthis as a terror group? I think he it's another example where he's going to be at odds with progressives in his party. Um, and it obviously compounded. It just it's adds to the pile of, of where the differences on the issue of Gaza and the war um, between Israel and Hamas, that obviously a lot of progressives in the Democratic Party are not satisfied with his, with his approach to the war and his support for Israel or staunch support for Israel. Um, and I think it seems maybe this is just part of a recognition by Biden that he's not going to either that, that these people will not end up voting for Trump, who's the likely nominee, and that they'll come home to the Democratic Party anyway, or that they're kind of a, I don't know, a lost cause um, and feeling that, look, this is we have to maybe look for the more moderate votes that are already going to be uncomfortable with Trump and appreciate a more hawkish foreign policy that Biden's presenting. Also, I think it's just the reality on the ground that this they felt that this was necessary, regardless of the campaign costs, that we can't allow the Houthis to just continue uh, wreaking havoc across the Red Sea shipping routes without any sort of response. And I think that's part of, obviously, the calculus as well. Okay, we'll go to a short break. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. 
And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniel, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. Now, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll privilege to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. And we're back. We learned last week that the technical conversations between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia about a potential normalization agreement with Israel have continued amid the Israel-Hamas war. You spoke with some uh, senior U.S. officials and senior Arab diplomats. So tell us what you're hearing. Yeah, it was a kind of a flood of talk about normalization that rebubbled um, this week. We had the Saudi ambassador to the UK uh, who was interviewed on the BBC and he was asked about where normalization stands and he said that we're absolutely still interested. Um, and it just felt pretty shocking to hear that kind of statement in the middle of the Gaza war um, where public sentiments in Saudi Arabia and the Arab world is pretty, I think, not so sympathetic to Israel when there's been 23,000 um Palestinians killed in Gaza, according to the health ministry. Obviously, it doesn't, doesn't differentiate between combatants and civilians, and there's other numbers there that, that bring that number so high that aren't Israel's fault. But clearly, the, there's not a lot of sympathy in Saudi Arabia for um, the Israeli or the interest in, in making some sort of normalization deal with Israel. And yet, this ambassador says, clearly, it's not speaking um, off the cuff. I think this is very much uh, an, uh, a signal to the Biden administration that we're still absolutely, as he said, interested in this deal. Um, and I tried to look look into why why he was saying it now, why that why why in the middle of this war that he felt that it was still important to say this, and basically the understanding I got from the, the officials I spoke with is that the interests of all the players around um, the table have not changed. That Saudi Arabia is still desperately interested in this uh, defense pact with the Biden administration, um, that w- trying to also get some sort of civilian nuclear program off the ground. That actually what's been happening in the Gaza war has only Im- um, in- reinforced the need to try to get these agreements that Saudi Arabia feels that the that the Biden or their relationship with the U.S. has been so unpredictable between the administrations. We have Trump administration hugging them very tightly, then Biden coming to office saying, calling MBS a pariah, and now moving much more closer. Um, and they feel that they don't want this pendulum to continue to swing, and the way to prevent that is to have this defense pact where everything is kind of in- baked into law that the, U- the U.S. would have to come to Saudi Arabia's aid if some sort of, um, if it were attacked. And and the feeling that with Iran emboldened and the way it's been acting throughout the war, that they really want this kind of deal. And they're willing to accept the fact that Israel will be part of it and is willing to uh, normalize with Israel, recognizes that there are a lot of benefits to defense cooperation with Israel against Iran. So they're fine with those things. However, what all the officials I spoke with said is that what has changed since the war is that the price of what was being called the significant Palestinian component of the deal, or the SPC is what some people are referring it to as, that's gone up. That because uh, this is like a commodity, as what one official said, that it's like gold, it goes up, it goes down. And right now it's gone up since the war because there's clearly a lot of uh, attention on this issue. There's a recognition that it, it shouldn't be allowed to fester without being addressed and that 
the way that it's gone up is that Israel is going to be expected to give a lot more um, regarding um, moving towards a Palestinian state, while it, whereas before there was kind of just a general expectation that Israel would give some sort of nod to an eventual goal of two states, um, but not take too many steps on the ground. Um, I think Saudi Arabia wasn't asking for as much, according to what officials I spoke with. Now there's a real push to um, kind of totally sideline annexation efforts, make take certain steps in the West Bank, and and boost the Palestinian Authority and boost them so that they will be allowed to return to the Gaza Strip um, and govern there along with the West Bank. And that's obviously something that Netanyahu is very much against. Um, so the Arab diplomat that I spoke with said, "Yeah, these are the new terms." He confirmed what the U.S. official said about the the, the higher price that Israel is going to be expected to pay for the Palestinians. But he said it was kind of delusional to assume that this is going to be able to happen. Um, A, the Biden administration thinks it can still happen or is trying to make it happen in the first term while the war is still going on. Um, he thinks that Arab diplomats said it's definitely a second term issue at this point. And B, that you can't do this with the current Israeli government um, that we've seen that Netanyahu uh, is very much against the PA returning to Gaza. He's now boasting the fact that he's um, prevented the establishment of a Palestinian state, so moving in any step toward that direction with this kind of coalition, um, which can't even agree to transfer Palestinian Authority tax revenues to Ramallah. The idea that they're going to take steps much bigger than that is completely, uh, he said, delusional. So, he, But he did think, look, it could change if the Israeli government changes. There's, there's definitely on the table. There's desire from other sides, as, as I mentioned, about the different interests at play. Um, but right now, I don't see that happening, is what he said. So it's interesting that they're still talking about it, at least. They don't think it's obviously immediate, but they think it's still on the table. And, and that's why these technical conversations between Saudi Arabia and the U.S. are continuing. Uh, two things. I think it's really interesting, the timing of this announcement, for one thing, because, of course, it, here in Israel, it very much seems like the world is against us, all is lost, we have no friends at all. And number two, it sounds like from what you're saying that regardless of who is the president, the next president, or the continuation of uh, Biden's presidency, this deal could still go forward. Right. So as for the timing, I think what the U.S. feels is that this is the only way, this is what one U.S. official said, it's our only way to leverage Israel to take steps towards the Palestinians right now, is to like float this idea of a possible normalization agreement. And that if you don't take these steps, the normalization agreement goes away. So I think that's, they're, they're, they're really increasingly frustrated with the Israeli government. Secretary of State Antony Blinken did not have the most successful trip to Israel um, last week in trying to move the government towards some of these issues regarding the Palestinians. They really want them to release the funds that uh, belong to the PA, that, that the hundreds of millions of dollars that, that have still not been transferred, and the PA is on the brink of collapse. And the feeling is that this is kind of like, a, not a last trial, but one of the, they're running out of options of how to get Israel to move in this direction. And they feel that the way that they feel to do that is to try to stress this idea that normalization is possible. And then I forgot your second thing. I was going to respond to it. But that it could be either president, essentially Biden or Trump. Yes. So that's definitely the feeling that there's a bipartisan support for this right now. Um, however, I think Saudi Arabia recognizes, and this is what a um, Saudi official I spoke with, that it's going to be easier to get this deal done actually under a democratic administration because right now those who oppose 
the deal are in the Democratic Party. They don't like the idea of giving kind of all these gifts to Saudi Arabia, not always a reliable actor, obviously lots of human rights um, concerns regarding Saudi Arabia. But we'd be willing to, to back the deal at the end of the day if it's our president, a Democratic president. We're not going to go against a uh, Democratic administration that, that signs this deal. And of course, we noted the Democratic administration would do more to ensure that the Palestinian component of the deal is larger than a Republican presidency. So there's concern that if we, if we wait, if, for example, Trump is reelected, I think we'll have a much harder time getting Democrats on board to ratify whatever deal is necessary to be ratified in Congress. So it becomes trickier. So there is, that's why I think, while it seems kind of crazy, the idea that this could still happen in Biden's first term, um, the feeling among Saudis, a lot of Saudi officials, I think, is that it's better to try to get this done now. It's going to be more complicated later. Really fascinating. Thank you, Jacob, for all of these updates. Thanks for having me, Amanda. Thanks for listening to The Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by The Podwaves. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. <laughs>